Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. This podcast is sponsored by TheraWorks Relief. Many of you get sore, achy legs from standing all day or get asked about painful foot and leg cramps. If so, you're going to want to hear about TheraWorks Relief, a clinically proven topical foam that prevents and relieves muscle cramps and soreness. Learn more at theraworksrelief.com. Hey, listeners. In this episode, if you want to better understand what comparative effectiveness research is and how it could be used to influence formularies, then this episode is for you. During today's discussion, you'll learn some of the following. What comparative effectiveness research is and the organizations that publish it, how it's used, and what are some roles that pharmacists can play that fall outside of the retail and hospital space. Right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Greg Snyder, is an account manager with the startup pharmacy company, True Data Rx. Greg is a graduate of the University of Georgia's College of Pharmacy and obtained his MBA at Duke's School of Business. He spent time in the pharmaceutical industry and has an understanding of marketing from that perspective, and now he's bringing transparency and advising on the most cost-effective medications for at-risk self-insured companies. Greg, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you, Hillary. That was that was a fantastic introduction. Thank you so much. Well, now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, you may be able to fill in any gaps from that intro and maybe share a little bit about your personal life. Yeah, yeah. I'm I live here in um, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Uh, I've got um, two beautiful daughters under the age of four right now, and uh, just we and my wife relocated here where her her family is. Not uh, this about a year ago. Um, so that led me to find a company called True Data RX. Awesome. Um, and Greg, you might want to share a little bit about um, maybe kind of some of your, your background and uh, maybe how you decided to go into your MBA. Um, and then we definitely want to, I'll ask a little bit more about what True Data RX is, but just yeah, a little bit more background because we're starting to see more and more pharmacists with MBA. So I think it's interesting to share kind of your decision to do that, or kind of you know what your background had been prior to that. Yeah, oh that that'll be uh, perfect. So I obviously started off as uh, in a pharmacy school, like probably many of your listeners have, and kind of felt that. Retail pharmacy uh, wasn't for me. And at the time, I think hospital kind of scared me with, oh, I've got to go to school for or do a, a, a residency for a year or two. So that kind of unfortunately turned me off. It would have been a great route to think. But I guess at the age of 22, you just kind of think of getting out and, and starting a, a job and making some money. Um, so with that, I w- had the privilege, I guess, to be at University of Georgia where uh, Eli Lilly had um, a pharmacist that had gone to UGA and was looking to do kind of an internship. 
And so I had kind of become friendly with him and, and said I was very interested in, in sales, kind of was in my background and and wanted to kind of look at that, kind of explore that. And so that ended up leading to a, a rotation my final year working in, in a sales uh, aspect uh, with Eli Lilly. And it just seemed like the right fit. Uh, it felt like I was going to be impacting not only patients, but physicians who could impact very large breadth of patients. So my scope seemed to be a little bit wider than I was originally thinking of being as a pharmacist. So pursued that. Uh, um, unfortunately, I graduated in 09 and they didn't have a role for me right out of school. So I looked to some of my friends and, and opportunities and landed up as a pharmacist at Publix Grocery Store, which was fantastic. I think the leadership that it gave me working with a team of about five or six on any given day uh, taught me a lot, uh, but I still had that itch to go into pharmaceutical sales. And so I was able to land a role in back actually where uh, UGA is in the Athens area, and I was a specialty rep working in hospitals and working with cardiologists, and, and I got to work real time with some of the physicians when I was in the cath lab, and depending on what was uh, the the patient had on the table, uh, Effiant was the product I sold, Prasagril, and we could I could recommend the, the product to be a logical choice and also the dosing that it had compared to um, Plavix at the time. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but as in that role, I, I had a great time and learned a lot, but I think the biggest thing I learned was I had a lot of questions, and it, it kind of circled around the business area. Why, why are we focusing on this product? Why are my three products that I have in my bag, why am I focusing on this one? And just a lot of these business type things and, and strategy type things that I was really interested in. And so that brought me to looking to go, excuse me, back to a full-time MBA. And of course, wanted to go a, a, a top school uh, and ended up looking for something that had a healthcare realm. Um, and, and and Duke had a, a fantastic program. It really focused on very diverse groups. And in my sales role, I saw that very diverse groups really brought in so much learning with all of my teammates were, I was one of the only pharmacists and my manager made sure to hire a pharmacist because she wanted to bring in that perspective. Even though I had my own territory, the rest of the state of Georgia could utilize me. And, and so I focused on Duke for that reason. And uh, with the healthcare, it, it just made sense. Um, at my time there, uh, I wanted to go into leadership and have that broader effect on more members and more people, more patients. And uh, Zimmer Biomet was a company that was an orthopedic company, and I'm a car guy, so I, I like to work with my hands. And it just seemed like it might have been able to to take my background as a pharmacist, but also my business background and really put it together. Unfortunately, it really didn't leverage my pharmacy background as much as I had hoped. And I had a great experience there. I learned unbelievably large amounts in that leadership program, focusing on marketing, account, um, project management, but then also some operations and, and sales ops. Um, but when I knew that I wanted to do something a little bit more and, and be able to really leverage my background and make a difference in society, I started looking at um, kind of in the insurance realm. And some of you may be like, oh, insurance doesn't sound that interesting, but focusing on the population health. And I ended up finding this company called True Data Rx. And so I'll kind of explain uh, now about what it is and kind of my role. 
So when I was looking for a role, True Data RX um, uses something that I didn't know about at the time in pharmacy school, and that was called comparative effectiveness research. And that was something that I had always kind of had questions. And what comparative effectiveness research asks is what works best. Uh, we all know, uh, Hillary, you know, when you look at a, a drug approval, it's usually against placebo. And so you can make some educated guesses that this product is maybe better, this product maybe not be as good, this one might have more side effects, but, but the actual head-to-head -head comparison was very difficult to do. Uh, and so comparative effectiveness research is this body of research that is done throughout the world, some amazing organizations um, out of um, Cochrane collaboration throughout the world, AHRQ, uh, ICER, uh, which some of you may know of, that does the looks also at the economic side of things uh, out of Harvard does. And it allows us to look at benefit plans that um, self-insured employers use and see if they're their formularies are based properly. And some of you might not know, but when a large company uh, wants to provide insurance to its members, it can choose to be fully insured, which means they, the company will just pay all of the premiums to the health insurance company. And that's it. The health insurance company handles everything else. Or a company can be self-insured if they're large enough, and they can distribute the risk of the health of their members onto themselves. So they actually are the ones who fund uh, a hospital stay for one of the employees or one of the members um, of the plan if families independence and stuff like that. So there was a great opportunity to work with those companies to provide them this comparative effectiveness research to see if their plans are providing the, the best health, the best options in terms of medications for their members. And a lot of times, yes, they, they often are providing um, the best medications for their members, but there also can be another aspect that you can look at if medications are either just as good, if not better, solving the same condition, providing care for the same condition, and that's cost. And as I'm sure many of you know, uh, drug prices are high and a lot of brands are rising and specialty is getting really high. So once we find out that a medication may be the same, just as good as one, if not better, and significantly lower costs a lot of times, we want to help the plan design their formulary uh, to maximize the utilization of those drugs. And we do that with different ways. It might be an exclusion with the prior auth to get it if a member really truly can't take the other options, or it's incentivizing them by having a plan design so that the highest value medications can be attained for free from their members. And it's, it's really great to be able to kind of come back at this high level and look at uh, the population of, uh, of an, a company. And so we look at all of their pharmacy spend and break it out into classes, break it out into conditions. And as a pharmacist, I get to look at some of these odd drugs when I'm working with companies that are all throughout the U.S. Doctors in certain areas of the country are using new drugs. Uh, spend might be high in one area that's kind of confusing, and it might be some new drug that came out. So getting to have that big picture uh, and then deep diving down into that drug and seeing if it's the most logical for the plan to pay for. Yeah, that is really helpful, Greg. Uh, thanks for giving us a little bit of background. I'm sure... 
there are a couple of points to to pull out of that that I'll I'll try to make sure we uh, convey. Um, so you know, a lot of times um, where we are seeing often that that cost of drugs are are rising, and that's kind of one of the big um, uh, focus points of the. Uh, congressional members, especially mm-hmm. right now, they're doing some hearings and things and um, definitely a lot of scrutiny on the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, yep. However, um, it is a very complex system, as you mentioned, um, where there are a lot of rebates and things that are happening and being passed between the pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs and health plans. And so, uh, there's not a lot of transparency right now about how those deals are happening and how um, medications are being added to formularies. I mean, obviously, uh, the clinical, um, uh, you know, is is priority, but there also weighs in the you know amount of rebate and things like that. So you know, there is. A little bit of some some misaligned incentives, and yes. uh, you might want to speak a little bit more to that. Yeah. So, um, to sorry to go back. So, True Data RX, like we are, we want to do what's best for the patient and best for the payers. And so, there are a lot of misaligned incentives, and I can, I'll go into that in just a second. But True Data RX, we want to work. We only take money from the people who hire us, and so that means that we want to do what's best for them. And if that means saving money and, or focusing on maybe member disruption, if we are going to affect by maybe, maybe excluding a certain medication, I mean, like you can think of um, PDE5s, so the ED medications. Well, now that Viagra's got a generic, it can be had for much very cheaply compared, well, not cheap, but uh, about under 50% of the cost for uh, Cialis or Viagra. And so if a plan wants to focus on having the best for their members, maybe they wouldn't exclude some of the brands. But if they're a company that may or may not be struggling, but really has a certain uh, philosophy at the company that, hey, this is a drug that it makes sense to exclude the brands, uh, we do. So we take money from them for just per member per month. And that's what keeps us doing what's best for the client uh, by presenting all of the information and transparency. And why this transparency is needed is, I I think you alluded to, the the misaligned incentives that the current uh, big players in the market have. So PBMs are the ones who generally do the formulary and and kind of work on what the benefits plan might be. Uh, But when you look at them, they don't just get paid for the services that they provide. Um, and they only they don't just get paid by, hey, per member per month, we're going to manage these people. They'll oftentimes have misaligned incentives with, one, owning pharmacies. Uh, and so you can think that if a pharmacy benefits plan is going to promote a medication by maybe making it a preferred medication on the plan, it's going to chart, it's probably going to do that to ones that are expensive. Because they make a spread on that. Uh, that can be, if you're, say, making $10, uh, uh, 10% on the sale of a drug, are you going to want to sell a, a cheap generic or a high brand? And because they put the bill back to these self-insured companies, they have this misaligned incentives to promote higher medication drugs. Um, and 
generally how a PBM kind of aligns their formulary is really just basic things. And that's looking at brand and generic. And so we know that brands can oftentimes be high. And also um, what the FDA says. So if the FDA is just providing what it simply does is to make sure that a medication, one, achieves a, an outcome that is statistically significantly better than uh, a placebo and it's approved, and it also has to be safe. So those are really the guidelines that PBMs have to work by and that uh, companies know of branded generic and, oh, is it approved or not for a condition? And so with comparative effectiveness research, we want to bring in clinical data to show the difference between all of the medications. It's not brand and generic and focus on ones that are super high value um, and promote those. And we, of course, don't want to provide, oh, well, that's, we don't want to look at the gray areas where, well, this one's a little bit more risky to take because of side effects, or this one's not quite as effective, but it's significantly cheaper. And it's like, well, we don't want to focus on that. We want to go to the lowest hanging ones that are just as good. I mean, you can think of uh, certain classes of medications um, like PDE5s uh, or even statins. There's data out there to show that as long as you find the equivalent dosing, they're all roughly the same. And so why don't you focus on promoting the lowest cost ones than uh, some of the higher cost ones first? And so that's where True Data Rx comes in and, and tries to bring in the right incentives to a, a plan fiduciary, show them the actual clinical data that is not working in our own best interest of making money on the back end because of rebates. Like you said, uh, these PBMs can also get larger rebates from these higher priced drugs, and they oftentimes will keep a large part of it versus passing it through 100%. And Rebates can come in the forms of many different ways. It can be direct like, hey, for every script you have of our drug, we'll give you so much back. But also there's a volume amount, like if you hurt over 20,000, say, as an example, we'll give you X amount of dollars. And you can't necessarily attribute that to a rebate. But then there's also educational things that um, grants and, and different rebates that kickbacks, as, as they can sometimes be called as well, that... PBMs can get from manufacturers that do not get passed back on to the employee, especially, and to the, the plan. And I think um, the articles yesterday about uh, government trying to do something about these rebates and making point of sale rebates to the customer versus rebates on the back end that would go to the plan rather than uh, to the actual member. Yes. Uh, I think that's a good point that you brought up that a lot of times these savings are not being passed on to the patient. Um, and, you know, Greg, uh, we haven't talked yet about, uh, there's a great TED talk. It's linked. It will be linked in the show notes and on this episode uh, in the description. But your CEO at True Data Rx did a TED Talk presentation and also walked through or highlighted that um, the FDA process for approving drugs doesn't necessarily take into consideration whether one new drug is better than another drug. For instance, there are, you know, over 10 ACE inhibitors approved on the market and, you know, just to approve a new one doesn't necessarily mean that there are any true or real benefits um, than, you know, lisinopril, which is 
you know, roughly four on the $4 list are very inexpensive. So I think that, yeah. yeah. So I think that's yep. an important thing to take away is that, um, you know, we may have a whole lot of drugs that are available in a class and just because they're available doesn't mean that uh, one is necessarily uh, been approved that's better than the other. You've got to really dig in and look at some of this comparative effectiveness research to make some of those good financial and clinical decisions. Um, another thing that you touched on was focusing on the drug spend. So, you know, these uh, health plans or um, uh, self-insured companies, you know, how to control their drug spend. And right now we're seeing a lot of uh, the focus being on hospital drug spend and how do they control that. So it would be interesting mm -hmm. to see if if they're using some of the same uh, principles that, you know, True Data Rx is using when they're uh, trying to control some of that. I know they've got some analytics that they can run at different companies, but it would be neat to to apply the, the principles and the techniques that you're using uh, with comparative effectiveness research across the board in all of the different areas uh, where pharmacy formularies are utilized. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and we also can work with ACOs, which accountable care organizations who do take who are at risk for pharmacy costs, and use our analytics uh, on their information as well. If we get raw claims data, um, which PBMs have have very easy access to, I mean health health plans. I mean you can think of health claims data, the same thing. We as long as we have our um, our very comprehensive suppository of repository of um <laughs> suppository um repository of, of data um we can apply our analytics to it and find out where the spend is what it is and, and classify it to dug conditions and find out if there isn't an alternative so luckily uh, with comparative effectiveness research it looks at everything um and can we take those thousand page reports and compile it down to our uh, analytics and yes with our statisticians and and our medical team we can combine that information and make it very actionable for all things including hospital spend even in the medical area awesome so greg what are some roles that you've seen uh that a pharmacist can really excel at you've had a lot of, of i guess non-traditional roles per se yeah, I think after being in this role, I found so many opportunities for pharmacists um, looking for jobs in this area as well as is being a clinical like account manager, a clinical consultant, and working at this higher population level. So, uh, True Data RX is where I'm a kind of account manager. It's it's a small startup, so I wear a hat that changes hourly a lot of times, and so I use my Hat, pharmacy hat, my pharmaceutical experience hat to to analyze some of the data. So once we do get uh, run uh, claims data through our analytics, I still will have to go through and look and make sure what would be appropriate depending on the kind of the client's wishes. Do they want to say all PPIs should be paid for by the, the member at OTC? Or, well, we, we really like to provide the best benefits for our employees. That's one of the biggest perks we have. We want we want to be able to provide maybe 
omeprazole at at a zero percent copay for the member. And so I'm still looking at that kind of information. I'm taking I'm reviewing the clinical evidence reviews that our company creates from those thousand page reports from Cochrane and Iser and and seeing where opportunities are for um, making recommendations of, hey, this you have a couple members, low impact uh, by providing this as a, a free medication possibly, or maybe excluding this or having a prior authorization be required for this medication um, can save significant money. So that's an area that I, I, I love so much and it feels a lot more clinical than I ever thought I would uh, get to be as a, a retail pharmacist. So that's really exciting. So and all PBMs, uh, some of the, I mean, there are definitely PBMs that are more transparent and their incentives are not as misaligned. So there are ones out there that please look at those as opportunities to be clinical, uh, be a little bit more business oriented and look for those. I mean, uh, just any, just start with PBMs. I mean, look, transparent PBMs is a great way to search and look and see if there are ones in your neck of the woods that have a headquarters that you could possibly throw your resume out there. It's it's a great opportunity where you get to really focus on helping a lot of people. Yeah, that's um, helpful to share to, to be some on the best medication. other uh, areas where where pharmacists could make a big impact and some strategies for how to find those. So Greg, as our final question, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists who are just getting started in their careers? Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, network's the obvious one, but really look outside the box. L- don't judge anything that you think right off the bat. For me, it was insurance. I was like, oh, insurance, like we're dealing with money. All we're going to be doing is wanting to to reduce the health uh, by reducing access. It's like, that's not necessarily true if you find the right companies. And being a pharmacist, um, you're going to be focused on those areas of providing the best clinical advice, not just cutting, focusing on the bottom line. Um, and so I would tell myself and I would tell a younger pharmacist, really look at all the opportunities out there. Um, I think population health uh, is an area that really excites me because you do have such a broad reach on so many lives. I can really help members get some really valuable medications at a, a reduced cost or just be on a, the best medication for them uh, and save them money. I mean, when you look at a lot of these health plans that have 20% coinsurance, some of these members can be on a $2,000 a month drug and they don't know that there's a $20 a month drug um, that they're $2 instead of $200 for. Uh, and so that has really been exciting to be kind of in this insurance uh, realm or PBM realm. Uh, so don't discredit that and, and know that you will have such a great effect. You might not be talking to client or patients on the daily basis, but you are working to, to help many, many people. Thank you, Greg. I think that is such great advice. And I think that with such a focus on drug prices right now, I think that's such an opportunity for pharmacists as the drug and medication experts to step up and uh, show our expertise and, you know, help to make those good decisions on, you know, what are the best medications and what are the most cost effective medications. So I I think that, you know, 
we really have an opportunity as a profession here to step up and help not only guide patients uh, when they're coming into, you know, your retail pharmacy. And I mean, I've had many instances where I've had patients on brand Norvask or something. And, and, you know, you just have those one-on-one conversations and, um, you know, get to know them on a personal level and you can, you can make an impact and, uh, you know, oh, were you aware that the generic is less than $10 yeah. and, you know, their kind of eyes light up and they're like, hmm. I've been on this for 30, um, 20 years now or whatever it might be. Yes. Yeah, there's a generic out now, yeah. Advair, Advair. Yes. I think you, I think I saw you posted Advair is now generic and that's, a, that can be significant saving uh, for people when that Absolutely. starts getting marketed and out there on the, at the pharmacies. Yep. Well, thanks so much, Greg. It was a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Well, thank you so much, Hillary. I really appreciate it. It was was great fun to be here this morning. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. And a special thanks to our sponsor, TheraWorks Relief. If you haven't heard their episode, go back and check it out. It's with their CEO of Avadam Health which is the manufacturer of TheraWorks Relief. So just to learn a little bit more about the new over-the-counter product that is available for muscle cramps, check it out in an earlier episode. And if you haven't followed us yet, be sure to check out our website, www.pharmacyadvisory.com, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Talk to Your Pharmacist. We are posting updates and things and want to be able to meet with you if you're going to AAPHA annual meeting.